ask that you would open your word to our understanding. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6. As we read Psalm 91, I made the statement, this is a psalm that every soldier, sailor, marine, airman, coast guardsman, National Guard representative ought to memorize. But ladies and gentlemen, it is a psalm that every Christian ought to memorize because we are all on the battlefield. We are all on the battlefield. Ladies and gentlemen, what we're going to be examining today is something most Christians do not want to acknowledge is true. They don't want to acknowledge it because if it's true, it's frightening. And it will demand that we put up or shut up. It will demand that we follow hard after Christ or just plain go sit on the bench and acknowledge to ourselves that's what we're doing. Because the reality of Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, is a world environment that is frightening, that we cannot handle. We are creatures of flesh. We are creatures of the dust. The term Adam, Adam, means dust. In Psalm 8, out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, I have ordained strength that I might humiliate the enemy and the avenger who is Satan. I have chosen mere babes. And formerly he has said, they are, of, they are dust creatures. They're Adams. They are Ish and Isha, frail. Creatures of dust and marked by frailty, and yet his words out of their mouth will cause Satan's system to collapse. Why does God choose to do it that way? Because it heightens the humiliation of Satan. That he picks up the very tools that Satan thought he had broken in the garden. God picks up the broken tools, <laughs> restores them, and then wields them as a powerful weapon against and all we have to be is babes and nursing infants because the strength is not in us it is in him and he is ever 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 with us present in all of who he is ephesians chapter one all of heaven's resources are with us here nothing is withheld god's resources are never strained he never says, well, hey, I'm hard at work in Africa. I'm hard at work in Cambodia. you got to give me... No, he doesn't have to do that. He is never strained by the workload. There is no workload to him. He holds the creation, but it says in Isaiah, in the span of his hand. Our telescopes are now enabling, and our satellites are enabling us to get a better picture of that than they had in Isaiah's day, believe me. Yet it's all in the span of his hand, utterly in his control. No strain on him. But to us, what is it to us? Something we can't handle. We better be walking with him. And if we walk with him, and if we allow him to be all of who he is through us, Satan will flee. Satan will run away crying. 
throwing a fit in a tantrum because he can't handle babe. <laughs> the babes. Humility is the first characteristic of those who succeed in the battle. Not full of ourselves pride. No, just the opposite. Lord, if you don't do it, it's not going to happen. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Where does our strength come from? Him. It comes from him. Isn't it wonderful to be able to be on the battlefield and say, Lord, it's all about you? I'm just, a, I'm just hanging out here. I'm just hanging out here. I'm here to be used by you. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I saw a beautiful, beautiful uh, photographic comparison a few a couple weeks ago on Facebook and it showed it was two pictures and in one the first picture was a group of Christians all w- gathered in a circle with their arms around each other's shoulders praying this is and they're praying together and, and the in the caption for that picture is what prayer looks like in the minds of those who are watching Christians pray that's what it, that's what it is in their mind the second picture was of soldiers old-time soldiers, Roman soldiers with all of their armor on, with their shields and their, and their spears and their swords. This is what is in our minds as we are. This is what we are thinking. And that's the spiritual reality. When you are praying, you are doing battle. Don't ever think less of it than that. I don't care if it's just, thank you, Lord, for this hamburger. You're doing, the fact that you're giving praise to God is something that just grates on the spirit of Lucifer. He can't stand it. But you would be thanking God for what's on your plate. As simple a thing as that. It's a spiritual victory. Put on the whole armor of God and you better have every piece in place because the very if, if, if your armor is askew, if all the equipment, if all the things you're supposed to do in preparation, if anything is not done quite right, that creates the opportunity for Lucifer to work his way through with his weapons. And so it's vital to understand every step in what it means to succeed on the day of battle. By the way, As Paul concludes this, was he going to say, what does success look like when it's all said and done? At the end of the day of battle, the successful battle line is the soldiers who have rested their shields on the ground and they're leaning on the top of their shield. (sighs) That's the picture of success because the enemy has fled and the light infantry and cavalry are chasing them down. But What we read here is heavy infantry. We are the heavy infantry in God's army. And he gives us the assignment of being in the line, standing. Repeatedly, he's going to use the word stand, 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 stand. 
He doesn't say anything about running after. He says stand. You stand. You stand. You're defending something. You are the anvil, the basic plan of battle, not only in the ancient world but today. It's called the hammer and the anvil. And the heavy infantry is the anvil. And the light infantry and cavalry are the hammer. And the basic plan of battle is you've got the heavy infantry here, immovable. They're not backing up. They're not moving forward. They're not backing up. And the, and the light infantry and cavalry sweeps around one side or the other. And in the most perfect battle ever fought, the Battle of Cani, that Hannibal fought against the Romans, where he annihilated to the man an entire Roman army, a double envelopment that where they forced and forced and forced and forced that entire Roman army down onto the anvil and nobody walked away from that Roman army. Most perfect battle ever fought. But even in today's warfare, that's the basic plan of battle. An envelopment that pushes them down onto the anvil. We're the anvil. Our job is just to stand. Stand for what is true. When God is assaulted in his ways and his character, when what he states is assaulted, we stand, we stand, we stand. Put on the whole armor of God, every piece, every aspect that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. Oh, yeah, you know, there's that guy, the dead. Yeah, well, I hear Christians talk about that. And let me tell you what, it's not just Lucifer himself. Thank you, God. Lucifer is not omnipresent. <laughs> but he has an uncountable multitude of angels that joined him in his rebellion. We're told in Ezekiel 28 that when Lucifer rebelled, a third of the we're told in Revelation 12, a third of the angels joined him. In India alone, <coughs> they claim... 300 million gods and goddesses. That's just India. Those are fallen angels. They are actual spirit beings who have power, and not one of them is good. They are all wicked. They are all evil. Even the Hindus would acknowledge, oh, yeah, they're all wicked. They're all evil. But it's the, it's the lay of the land. It's the way things really are, and we have to deal with it. It's not good, but it's reality. Don't pretend it's not there. You got to deal with it. But that's just India. But it's the reality. That's why Christianity is exploding in some parts of India and some parts of Nepal in particular. Because Hindus with their wicked gods are seeing Christians who are fleeing to Jesus and they're watching them. And when they see Jesus Two things. They see Jesus is able to protect them from their wicked gods. He's greater than them. And he is good. There is no such thing as a good pagan god or goddess. They're all wicked, and they will acknowledge that. He is good, and he is not only protecting them, he is blessing them. And that is why, in Nepal in particular, Hindus are flocking to Jesus. Because he can protect them from the devils, from the demons. By the way, daimon, which we anglicize over to demon, means a divine being. 
forget this little imp in a red union suit sitting on your... No, they are divine beings. They are angels. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that when someone worships an idol, they're worshiping a demon that resides behind that idol and supplies it with the spiritual power. But Jesus breaks that power. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil, because he will come at you from in different ways. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You know, we get so upset about people. People aren't the problem. We prayed just a few minutes ago for a family that cut themselves off from a man who then committed suicide. We prayed for and we prayed for them because they made a wicked decision. But what incited them to that? Yes, they're fallen people, but what incited them to that? Lucifer. That's what really happened. Our enemy isn't people. I'm so thankful that God saves sinners. As Paul says, he saves sinners of whom I am chief. Remember the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, killed Christians. He was essentially a legal murderer when Jesus put him on his face on the road to Damascus, right outside the gates of Damascus. I'm so glad that God delivers into his kingdom sinners. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. People aren't the problem. It's those who animate them that are the problem. We wrestle against principalities. And yes, there are regions that certain demonic spirits have authority over. They are not omnipresent. Principalities, powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Bob Barrett in his class talked about a friend of his who said he had depression. And Bob asked, Lord, show me what that means. All of a sudden, darkness and a great weight came upon him until he cried out to Jesus, gone. But where does that come from? Lucifer weighing down people. Against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Did you know Satan's, you know where does Satan spend most of his time? In heaven. Revelation 12, chapter 12 says he stands day and night before the throne of God, accusing the brethren. He doesn't have to make anything up about me. And other demonic spirits, other fallen angels are present there too. And it, it, it is a yet future event described in Revelation chapter 12 when heaven will be cleansed of the presence of Lucifer and the other fallen angels and they will all be confined to the earth. And that's the third woe that goes with the seventh trumpet where God gives to the human race what it really wants. Ah, you ever gotten what you wanted? And then, oh man, I wish I hadn't gotten what I wanted. (laughs) 
That's what's going to happen to the human race when that seventh trumpet sounds. But heaven will be cleansed, and heaven will be rejoicing, but it will be woe to those who dwell on the earth. Because Satan has come down, and he knows he has but a short time. But he's already here, just not here. He has presence here through his demonic spirits, through his minions. But he's back and forth. He's mostly in heaven. Spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Put every piece on that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Why? You're heavy infantry. Your job is not to go anywhere. Your job is to stand. Just stand. Just stand. And you're withstanding. One of the things we don't realize because we've seen all these movies and they show, don't take what movies show you is how these battles were fought as the way they were really fought. (laughs) They were wrestling. These you got a line of shields here, and you got a line of shields here, and they're pushing on each other. They're wrestling. Now, my shield, the responsibility is my, of my shield is actually to protect the guy next to me. And the responsibility of the man on my right is to protect me. But I reach through with my short sword or my spear in that gap, And this guy's going through this gap, but I'm actually more focused on protecting him, and this guy protects me. So we have to all work together. But we, our job is just to stand here, stand here as the enemy is pushed down upon us by the light infantry and cavalry. And Jesus will push down upon his Christian soldiers, the enemy. What's my job? Stand. What's my job? Stand. Because what happens is at the end of the day of battle, when we are the victors and we're leaning in exhaustion on the top of our shields, we know who the victor is. But the battle is raging. That day of victory comes, and then the next day there's another battle and another battle and another battle. Our job is day after day after day, keep doing what was assigned to us. Stand, therefore. Stand, 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 stand. Sermon title, stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Really, the word is integrity. What does he mean, girded your waist? Well, in the ancient world in particular, they wore clothing that flowed more, that was more ostentatious. And so when they're going into battle, they would actually tie up their sleeves and their la- anything that was out there that was loose, they would tie it up tight so the enemy didn't have something to grab hold of and pull them off balance. You notice football players today, I could, well, some of you are old enough to remember back in this, at least the 60s, they had the tearaway jerseys on the, on especially the halfbacks, the tearaway jerseys. So when the opposing, you know, the defense grabbed the jersey, it was just tearaway. Well, then they outlawed those. Now they wear jerseys that are skin tight that you cannot get hold of because they can pull you, create a handhold for the defense to 
pull you down. So they would tie up with integrity. The number one thing, like Job, I just love the book of Job. I mean, I love it because it informs me. I don't want to do the Job thing, Lord. No, no, just let me, give me the information via Job. Let's not do that with me, okay? Right, 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 right. As long as I get the lesson, I don't have to go through what he went through, right? I love the fact Job never knew what happened in chapter 1, I would dare say. <coughs> chapter 1 of Job starts in heaven. And the angels of God are coming to present themselves before the Lord. <coughs> and here comes Lucifer. Here comes Satan. And God says to Satan, who has to report into the Lord. <coughs> he doesn't have a choice. He has to report in. Well, where have you been, Lucifer? Where have you been, Satan? Oh, I've been down on the earth going back and forth. Da, 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 da. He always gives the same snotty answer. Hey! Now, love, interesting. Lucifer doesn't bring up the subject to Job. God does. Hey, Job. Hey, 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 Satan. Have you noticed my servant Job? What a man of total integrity he is. I mean, he is a fantastic testimony to my wisdom and ability to bless. Now, oh, Lucifer's not happy with this. Wow. Yeah, well, look at how you blessed him. No wonder he's hot after you and loving you and worshiping you. No wonder. You just take away everything he has and you see what he does then. Okay, Satan, you go ahead and take away every single thing that he has. You just may not touch him physically, personally. All of his ten children are killed. This is the wealthiest man in the Mesopotamian Valley, the Tigris-Euphrates Valley, probably at that time one of the wealthiest places, if not the wealthiest place on the planet, and Job is the wealthiest man there. And he loses his ten children. He loses all of his herds and flocks. All of his Everything is destroyed around him. And what is his response the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He continued to worship God, and that is victory. Ladies and gentlemen, what does victory look like? You worshiping? You worshiping? When you continue to worship God, in spite of what has happened to you, Satan just grinds his teeth. He can't stand it because he just got humiliated before God and the angels and probably a bunch of people. That's victory. And that's how Job responded. Then Satan comes back to heaven and Job, or the Lord says to Satan, okay, report it. Well, I've been going to and fro on the earth. And da, 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 da. Hey, have you noticed my servant Job? I allowed you to do everything you wanted to do, and he still worships me. Well, skin for skin. As long as you don't touch him physically, of course he's going to keep worshiping. Okay, you can. I will give you a free hand with his help. You just may not kill him. And so the next thing we see is Job sitting on the pile of rubble that was his house. He is covered with sores 
with boils from the top of his head to the sole of his foot, and he's sitting there with a piece of broken pot, and he's scraping the boils. And his wife comes to him and says, why do you hold on to your integrity? Why do you keep worshiping God? Why don't you curse God and die? Foolish woman. (laughs) You're speaking like the unbelieving women speak. I will continue to worship God. And then the three friends come to console him, except that they are actually emissaries of, because they can't imagine. If, if, if you're really an authentic worshiper of God, why, you can't possibly be harmed by anything. And they persist in that for chapter after chapter after chapter, and Job just says, no. There's not, I'm, surely you've secretly done some sin we don't know about. no. I haven't. And they have this explanation that is not biblically accurate. And that's the point of the book of Job is God is setting straight the human race on their thinking. And then ultimately Job's blessing is restored. But you know what is interesting? Job cries out to God, why, 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 why? That's totally okay. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, said Jesus from the cross? The problem isn't when we say why. What the mistake Job does make is he starts demanding an answer to his question. God doesn't owe us an answer. We owe him trust and worship. And had Job continued to respond that that way without demanding an answer to his question of why, he would have been standing. Now, God restores him in mercy anyways. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with integrity. Be a man against whom no authentic accusation can be brought. And what is it that we hear time after time after time is Christian leaders who are not men of, or women of integrity, and it becomes disclosed. It's not just Christian leaders, but that's the, those are the ones we hear of because their names are known. Personal integrity is step one, is the first thing. That's pulling up the places that Satan can grip by being people of integrity. If you have that one thing that you're coddling, that you're nursing, that Satan has can grab hold of you, that will lead to when it's grabbed hold of, oh, then you have to lie to cover it up. Then you have to do all these other sinful things to try to protect yourself. No. Be men and women of integrity. As one of the old preachers said, keep short accounts with God. Don't let the list of your sins pile up. You confess it. If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, if we say the same thing about our sins to God's, don't be mealy-mouthed and say, well, Lord, I kind of made a mistake. No! You sinned! Call it what it is. If we confess our sins, say the same thing about our sins that God says about them, he is faithful to forgive us our sins. It means he'll do it every time. And he is just when he does it. How can he be just? How can a holy God forgive sinners and be just? How can he not violate his holiness? 
because Jesus already paid sin's penalty for us. That would be double jeopardy if he refused. He'd be demanding that we pay for our sin that Jesus already paid for. And so he is free, completely at liberty, to forgive our sins and to cleanse us. So when we are welcomed back into his presence, he doesn't put a clothespin on his nose and say, okay, well, yeah, okay, you're here. No, he is throwing his arms around us with a grin on his face. Stand therefore having girded your waist with integrity, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Satan's number one ploy to subvert your Christian life is to pile guilt on you. Pile false guilt on you. I mean, he he doesn't play fair. So he will elevate some legalistic thing out here. You know, if you're a real Christian... You won't love chocolate. I mean, you will not love chocolate if you are a real, real Christians love vanilla, not chocolate. Does that sound stupid? Of course, Satan does that kind of stupid thing with people all the time and they buy it. It's called legalism. And he will raise up these stupid issues and pile false guilt because I still love chocolate. False guilt, true guilt. Again, Revelation chapter 12, he stands day and night before the throne of God accusing us of our sins. But it says of the brethren in Revelation 12, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. What is it that stands me before God? Immovable, welcome. The blood of Christ has paid sin's penalty for me forever. By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, I wouldn't shut up when Satan and the world and my own fallen nature are screaming at me, you don't open your mouth for Jesus, not in this place. You say, oh, really? Let me tell you about Jesus. By the word of their testimony, and because they did not love their lives even to death, and they persisted in their obedience and trust in God, even to the point where their lives were taken away from them unjustly. That's victory. Would you like to step into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, having just forfeited your life because you were loyal to him? I think so. There's a man right now in Nepal, Joseph Babu, who is in prison under false charges, who had an orphanage, that the radical Hindus shut down, who has ministered for years, now about 40 years, in loyalty to Jesus. And he is in prison right now, but he's not bending. Rashamraj Powdell, whom this church supported for many, many years, Hindu Brahmin priest who came to faith in Jesus Christ, he lost count, 27 or 8 times, he can't remember how many times he was in prison. And all the miracle deliverances. Every person in Nepal knows his name. He is a legend. He was, he said, the best I can tell, I was the ninth person in Nepal to become a Christian. Last count I heard was two million. And that was five years ago. 
and everybody knows him. When I was there with him in 2011, he said he had recently been to a village in Nepal and people came for days. They trekked. I mean, you're talking about the most rugged nation in the world, except maybe Switzerland, and it matches Switzerland. And he preached the gospel to 1,600 people in a mountain village that had gathered there. And he gave the invitation, and all of them came forward. Wait, 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 wait. You must not have, no, we understood. We want Jesus' protection from our wicked gods. We want the good, all-powerful deliverer. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with integrity, putting on the breastplate of righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is the righteousness that allows me to stand before God. Nothing I do, God stopped looking at my performance the moment I entrusted myself to Christ. And now he looks at me, what did Jesus hear from heaven? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God takes the track record of his son and he attaches it to our account. And he looks at us as if we lived that life of perfect life of his son. I'll take that trade. Jesus took on the cross what I had done so that I might receive in its place what he did. And the welcome he deserves becomes mine. Satan, when you get hold of that, 1 John 2, 1 and 2, my little, little children, these things I write to you that you might not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with my, my little children, my, re, my Christian readers, John says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate, a defense attorney with the Father, a high priest with the Father, even Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who is the propitiation for our sins, the satisfaction for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Anybody can receive this benefit, and it is completely effective. I don't have to wonder. It was done. It's been done. When I held out an empty hand and said, Lord, I want what only Jesus could possibly do for me, it was mine. That instant. God isn't reluctant. He isn't slow. No, it's instant. Put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that boldness to speak in any crowd, in any context about what Jesus has done. You do it. And in, in the, in the foot gear of the soldiers was part of their uniform. They had hob... We talk about hobnailed boots in the modern military. They had hobnailed boots in the ancient world too. That was part of their weapon because they're wrestling. They better have something to grip into that dirt with. They don't want to be sliding around. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The Roman shield was made of oak, covered with leather. And when they went into battle, especially if they were doing a siege of a city, they would soak their shields in water. Well, this is already this is an oak shield covered with leather, and now you're soaking it in water? Why did they do that? 
because they would form a battle configuration called the turtle. And the guys on the outside would have their shields in the, nat in the normal vertical, and the ones who were in the middle are holding their shields above their heads. And so they could get close to the walls of that city and the fiery darts. Why are they fiery? Because the enemy is trying to set their battle shield line on fire. They're oak shields, right? They're burnable, but not when they're soaked with water. And so we are able to fend off the fiery darts of the evil one. Defend How do you do that? Get into God's word. Start underlining declarations of what God is like. Start underlining declarations of what God does. Start underlining promises that he has made to you and every other follower of his. That is your shield. So that you can identify who the enemy is, what his ploys are, and say, Satan, go peddle your papers somewhere else. I understand what you are doing and what you're saying, and you're a big, fat liar. You are the father of lies. Go take your lies somewhere else. And so you hold up that shield against the fiery darts of the wicked one, and not only that, not only are you quenching those fiery darts, you're also putting on your head that helmet of salvation. Now, I'm going to say that in because of the Another statement that Paul makes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, and 9, where he talks about the helmet of salvation as the expectation of the coming of Christ and the establishment of his kingdom. What gives us that longevity? What gives us that capacity to keep putting one foot in front of the other, to keep doing it and keep doing it? You know there's a kingdom coming. And when that kingdom comes, it will have come forever. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven you know that kingdom is coming in which his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven where lucifer will be put into a bottomless pit for a thousand years all of the other fallen angels probably thrown into the lake of fire at that point Satan will only be allowed out of that bottomless pit a thousand years later to sweep up all those who are enemies of God who have been born so that they can be dealt with. He's just doing God's work. Satan, that's got to just absolutely frost him. Every time Satan does anything, it ends up being to God's glory and benefit, and it just has to, he won't admit that. But that's how it works. Have the expectation, Lord, your kingdom is coming, your king, payday someday. I am going to stand before my Lord in his presence and we'll be stepping together into that kingdom. Well done, Jesus says, describing that event. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, so that you can use this as an offensive weapon and send Satan fleeing. Send him on his way, running off the battlefield.
praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit as guided by the Holy Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me. Pray for me, says the Apostle Paul. Paul well understood his own frailty. Pray for me that utterance may be given to me that I may have the boldness to do what I just told you to do, to speak in every context, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, that which has been hidden will become disclosed as we tell people the truth about what Jesus has done for us, for which I am an ambassador in chains. He is under house arrest as he writes this letter in Rome, probably chained to a member of the Praetorian Guard. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So I'm not just telling you about you. I'm asking you to pray for me that what I've just told you may be the reality of my life as well. So that the words physician heal thyself (laughs) will not be truly addressed to me. Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, Lord, God and King, King of kings, God of gods, Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, the one whose hand cannot be restrained, we ask that what the Holy Spirit said to us today will find its full reality in our obedient, believing walk in your presence. Everything described here is the possibility for every one of your people we ask that we would walk in and if you're here today and you have never taken that first step of having held out that empty hand so that God could place into your empty hand complete forgiveness the very righteousness of his son added to your account replacing your own sins which were put on Jesus' account on the cross, I would invite you to pray with me right now. God, I want the benefit of what Jesus accomplished for me when he was on that cross, taking the judgment, the penalty for my sins so that I could receive what he deserved. I thank you for it. I'm asking for it, and I know that you are faithful, and it is mine right now. And I give you thanks and praise. Amen.